Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Awesome. Well, let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are in week three of this series called The Walking Dead. And what we've been doing is looking at opportunities to come to the end of ourselves. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we find that Jesus begins. In fact, that's our overarching theme. If you're first time here and you're taking notes or uh, that, that, that's what we, I want you to get is that when you come to the end of yourself, this is where Jesus begins. And we've kind of been looking at the parallels from the TV show, The Walking Dead, and this Christian life that we have to live. Because in the show, The Walking Dead, when someone dies because of this infection that has spread across the world, they resurrect and become something new. There's a new life. There is a new drive. There is a new focus that they have as, as beings. And the Bible says that when we die to ourselves, because see, that's the invitation to follow Jesus. Over and over again, following Jesus is compared to coming, follow him, and die. Take up your cross. That means there is a death that is imminent. Do you say, Aaron, are you talking about like a physical death? Well, we're all going to physically die. But we're talking about when we die is when we come to the end of ourselves. When we say, I just can't, when I've reached the end of, of my rope, that's what we talked about the first week when we looked at the the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are broken, those that are bankrupt spiritually that say, I just can't do this. I can't fix it. I can't mend it. I don't have what it takes to make it right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That seems a little counterintuitive, and yet that's the teaching of Jesus. And then the second week we looked at coming to the end of our dreams is that some of us, all of us actually, at some point in time will have dreams, and we will be abruptly awoken from them. And when you wake up from your dream and you can't get it back, you come to a place where you need to mourn that loss. You need to go through that process. But more than that, we talked about looking at our lives and mourning what our sin does to a holy father and how our sin separates us from God and what Jesus did to bridge that gap between the two of us. And so we learn to look at our sins and say, I'm sorry, and mourn because with tears comes a cleansing. And this week, we're going to look at how we come to the end of our performance. Because truly, Paul said it best in in Colossians 3.3. He says, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It's when we come to the end of ourselves, we, we call it, we've been calling it through this series, the dead life. When you come to the end of yourself, you find that Jesus begins this real life. See, Jesus promised us life and life more abundantly, or a full and fulfilled life. He says, hey, if you lay down your life, if you'll come to the end of yourself in all the ways that you can, I'll give you my life. And this verse says it clearly. It says that your real life, that blessed life that Jesus is talking about, it's hidden with him. It's hidden in the teaching of Jesus that seems counterintuitive. It seems contradictive. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, that's like saying happy is the sad. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't add up. And yet, this is where real life is hidden. In these backwards 
teachings of Jesus. As we look at them, we'll find that. So we've been looking through this whole thing through the Sermon on the Mount and what we call the Beatitudes. And again, today we're going to focus on the end of our performances. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Earlier this year, I, uh, we were getting ready to go on vacation and I wanted a little extra pocket money because we, we save up what it takes to go and everybody in my family, and I mean everybody in my family, it is a mandate for you to save up whatever money you want to spend on vacation. So we'll save up, my wife and I will plan for the cost, but if you want to buy popcorn and go, go to special things, you save up your own money and that's what you get to spend. And so I said, well, I want to have a little pocket money and I've got this piece of jewelry that I think I'm going to cash in because, you know, you drive up and down the streets and you see these signs, these guys holding signs that say, we buy gold. So I said, I've seen those signs and I remembered that there was a we buy gold place on Main at Graham, Main and Graham, right there where the Buckeye Cheddar and Chili is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Only the fat guy knows where the food is, huh? Gotcha. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we got that out of the way. Uh, so the big sign says we buy gold. And, and uh, so... I said, well, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take this piece of jewelry. I'm going to cash it in. I'll maybe get $75, $100 for it. It wasn't anything, a piece of jewelry that had any kind of sentimental value to me. It was just, I'd had it for a long time, and it was time to let it go. And so I remember going to the place, and, and I, I walked inside, big sign, we buy gold. And I walk inside, and I stopped. Because what I saw, I was not prepared for. What I smelled, I was not prepared for. And what I heard had me almost backing out the door the second I walked in. Because see, when you walk into a place where there's a big sign that says, we buy gold, what do you expect to find inside? You expect to find gold. You expect to find a jeweler who's going to buy it from you at a discounted price, and he's going to turn around and sell it to the public, right? That's what you expect. You do not expect to be met with some like international mini-mart that has live birds in cages, I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. I stopped because the smell just hit my face, and I'm like, did I walk into the back end of a Kroger? Like, well, this is like, the, the, it was like, what it was was an international market had taken over that location. And I was greeted warmly by the people at the desk, and they wanted me to stay. They were pretty excited I was there, and I was like, do you guys buy gold? And they said, no, no, no. And they pointed to a smaller sign at the door that was, about the size of an eight and a half by 11 sheet. And that sign, the small one, is the one I missed on my way in because of the bigger sign that said, we buy gold. And it said, under new management, international market, and it gave the name of the place. I said, okay, sorry about that. And this is me, just grabbing my son, pushing him back this way, and we just kind of walked out the door this way. Now, I was so frustrated because, man, I had drove like three minutes from my house. I made a left turn on Main Street in like midday traffic. <sighs> Gone all this way. And nobody was there to buy my gold. Nobody was there. And, and I think that when we look at this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, that what Jesus is saying to us is blessed are those who don't put up signs on the outside that don't represent what's going on on the inside. Blessed are those who are not pretending to be more than they really are because there's happiness in that. Because see, if you, I don't know if you've 
ever been an actor before, maybe you're putting up a front in your life right now, but it's really exhausting. Like, it's a miserable existence to live life like a full-time actor, to constantly be on, putting on a show. It's exhausting. Jesus is saying, blessed is the authentic and the pure in heart. Not the perfect, but the real and the honest. And so as we try to understand this verse today, I want to start off with that word pure and what it means. It means undivided. It means authentic. And it means a sincere heart. This is what it's describing. Back in the day in Rome, there used to be a high demand for sculptors. And what were they sculpting? Well, they were sculpting images of their Roman gods. And everybody, from the poor to the rich, wanted to have a sculpture. They wanted to have it in their house. They wanted to have it on their lawns. They wanted to have it hanging around their necks. Like, they wanted these little idols. And so it was very popular. You could make a lot of money being a sculptor. And so, of course, the market was flooded with them. But as is with every single market that you find yourself in, there's the really, really great Chipotle and the really, really not so great Qdoba. And so, (laughs) it's true, and you all know it. But there were some sculptors that got into the business that weren't really good. And they didn't know how to handle a chisel, and they didn't know how to handle the, the hammer and the, and the stone. Man, that, that's a craftsman that takes to work with stone. And so they had a bunch of hacks that were just working on these things, and sometimes they'd hit too hard, and the sculpture would crack a little bit. Sometimes they'd accidentally tap too hard, and an arm would fall off or a head. And the way that these inferior sculptors fixed that was to take wax Because wax is not like stone. Wax is very forgiving. And so they would take wax and they would stick it onto the the sculpture. And they would mold it in the way that they wanted to. And then you could paint it and it would appear on the outside to be a work of art. And the guys who were sculptors who were really, really great at their work said, man, they're really biting off of our business. And these guys are hacks. We need to find a way to indicate that we're the real sculptors. And so they came up with this. They, they wrote this word, sinisera, on each one of their sculptures. And they took it, their sculpture and they'd sit it out in the sun. See, sinisera is where we get our word sincere. It means real. It means authentic. It actually literally means without wax. That's what sinisera means. They were letting people know, my sculpture... It's 100%. It's the real deal. And they put it in the sun because why? When you sat it in the sun, the wax would melt and you would see the cracks. The wax would melt and the image would begin to fade and warp. So they said, without wax, the sun revealed that wax. And I think Jesus says that the blessed life is life without wax. It it is sincere and it's authentic. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, I think it's interesting as we look at Matthew, the very first sermon that Jesus ever gives, he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then the last sermon that Jesus gives, as recorded in Matthew, is actually the woes. It's woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It's like Matthew, he bookended the things with said, hey, here's how to have the blessed life with Jesus' message. And at the end of his ministry, he's saying, woe to you. Hey, this is, this is not where to have the blessed life. 
So who were the woes to at the end of the book? Well, the woes were to the religious elite. They were to the leaders of the day. They, they were the ones who were the hypocrites as Jesus identified them. He said this about them. He said, everything they do is for a show in Matthew 23, 5. He said, hey, it's a show. They're, they're just actors. It's not real. Now, how many of you guys... You enjoy watching a TV show, and you like follow it. You watch it on Netflix, or you got up all the shows queued up on your DVR, whether it's like a live action show or a, or a uh, what do you call those, um, reality TV show. How many of y'all watch that stuff? Come on, let me see your hands. You can participate today. Only a few of you, huh? All right. Well, I hate to blow it for you, but even in the reality TV shows, all of those people are actors. I hate to ruin the magic for you, but they're not real. They're all somebody else playing a part. You're welcome. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite things to do whenever I'm sitting with my wife and we're watching a show because I enjoy production. I enjoy the picture that the, the, the director is painting for you on the canvas that moves and we get to view it through our television. I enjoy that. I, I like watching the backgrounds. I like seeing all this stuff and sometimes I'll just nudge my wife and I say, you see those two guys right there? They're not the main characters. I say, you see those two guys? They're just extras. They're not even really talking about anything. They're actors. They're actors, and that's what this word hypocrite means. It, it, was, it was actors. See, they, they used to perform in huge coliseums, and in order for you to see the expression on your face, they wore big masks that were about as big as their chest. It was, it was huge. And they were called hypocrites as a result because then you could see the expression on your faces from a long distance away. You could see the big mask had the face that they wanted portrayed to you. They were, they were actors. And Jesus says, woe to the hypocrites. Now this word woe, of course, is onomatopoeia. If you don't know what that is, basically it's a word that's created to represent a sound. But this word woe carries with it like a heavy connotation, like cursed are you, right? It's like woe. And then it's also got this like, whoa, to it. It's kind of in the same way when somebody says something like really offensive, you know, and you kind of step away from them because you don't want to get hit by the lightning, you know what I'm saying? Or you just look at them and they, somebody tells like a joke about someone and you just say, you know what, that's just wrong, you're going to hell. Like there's, there's several connotations in that, right? Like, whoa, I don't want to be anywhere near that. You realize how like dark that is? You realize you're going to hell, right? Not, not that we get to be judges, but you know what I'm saying. You've heard people say this. It's just, it's the weight of it. And that's, that's the weight of what Jesus is saying. It's a curse, and it's an expression of grieving. Woe to you. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, woe, man. Woe when you participate in these ways. And so he says, blessed are the poor in heart, but grieved is the hypocrite, the actor. Happy is the authentic and cursed is the person that isn't real. Blessed are we when we take off the mask, when we stop acting. And so as we look at the woes here, I want to just tell you kind of the things that they identify. They help us identify the impurities in our heart. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in heart, or pure in heart, excuse me, the pure in heart. So let's take a look at these to understand what it takes to have a pure heart and to come to the end of our performances. The end of our performances means several things. The first thing it means is that no more spotlight. If you're taking notes, the end of your performance means no more spotlights. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you'll do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying don't do the right things 
for the wrong reasons. If you do, if you're doing it to be seen, to impress other people, then that is your reward. What Jesus is calling us to do is to step off the stage and out of the spotlight and to do things in secret, and God will reward you. I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I'm thankful to say that I had an incredible model of not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing, as the Bible teaches us. See, my parents would do ding-dong ditches all the time. They'd buy groceries for somebody or uh, something nice for them, a basket or something, and they would drop it on their porch, and we'd get, my dad would get to driving down the road, or my mom would get to driving down the road, and they'd send us up to drop it on the door and just ring their doorbell. Of course, we thought we were just playing a joke on them, but really, what we were doing was not letting them see that we were the ones that blessed them. Because when you do things in secret, we have a reward from our Heavenly Father. Now, if I showed up on the door and I gave them groceries, that yes, they still would be blessed, but the blessing that I would receive is their thanks. It's a difference. There's a difference. And so God blesses who you are when the spotlight isn't on you. Think about that for a second. God blesses who you are when the spotlight isn't on you. So the question is, are you living for the applause of men or for the audience of one, your heavenly father? Jesus is calling us to live out our lives for him out of the spotlight. I think our problem is, is that we were all trained in life to do everything that we do for the stickers. <laughs> Whether you went to church as a kid or you were just in elementary school, all of us were taught in Sunday school or elementary school that we did what we did for the stickers. See, when I was in, in Sunday school, there was a chart, and it had my name on it. And if you brought your Bible, if you brought your offering, if you brought a friend, and you memorized the verse from the week prior to and could say it at the beginning of class, you got a sticker for each one, a little gold star. Sometimes they were red. And when you filled up that chart, you got another sticker, one that you could take home. It's exciting. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You grew up in church and you had stickers? All right, there's a few of you out there. <laughs> but, I, but we're trained to do it for the sticker. We're trained to, to do it. By the way, if you are trained to do it for the sticker, if you're a first-time guest here, if you fill out that connection card and you take it to guest <laughs> services, not only is there a T-shirt inside, but guess what? There's a sticker. There's a sticker. <laughs> it's a simple church sticker. I'm just telling you, it's there. <laughs> we live out our spiritual lives, I think, and in all things that we do, because we never grew away from doing things for the sticker. That's why some of you are here today. You're here today for Sunday morning service because you want the sticker for, for showing up. You, you give in the offering because you want the sticker. Or, or you serve on a team, or you get baptized, or you, you take a spiritual step publicly and you do something because you want the sticker. In Matthew 23, Jesus describing the hypocrites as everything they do is for men to see them. They're doing it for the sticker. Well, we're guilty of this. We go to a restaurant and we see somebody that we go to church with, and so when we get our food, we wouldn't normally pray, but because they're there, we want them to see us pray, and so we pray. Or maybe we go to a movie theater and we won't go see the R-rated movie, at the movie theater, but we go home and we've got DVR queued up with a bunch of R-rated shows. We'll watch it on Netflix or whatever. But we don't want to do it in public. We don't want to be seen. <clears throat> or maybe, maybe you, you're doing good deeds. 
You're going out and you feed the hungry. And what do you do when you go out? You get a selfie with yourself feeding somebody or working at the food pantry and you send it out. Hashtag feeding the people. Hashtag hands of Jesus. And you put it on Facebook and Instagram. We do it for the sticker. We, we do it for the applause. And if you do it so others see you, well, then that is your blessing. And Jesus is calling us out of the spotlight. His blessing is off the stage. But we're trained. We're trained to do it for the sticker. And then I think, here it goes, I think our social media has got us trained even further to continue to do it for the sticker, to do it for the likes, to do it for the comments. We don't do anything without taking a picture. We don't do anything without putting our best effort forward and our best picture forward. Why? So people will like it. Now, look, I don't hate social media. I love it. I think it's a great tool, just so you know. I do talk about it a lot because I think it's one of the current, the biggest dangers in our current culture. Social media, we, we just put out our, our highlight reel, I like to call it, the best of our life, and we put that out there so everybody can see it. We do it for the applause. I'd like to say that I hope that someday your life will be as awesome as it is on Facebook. That's what I hope for you. Because when we're on social media, we don't put up bad pictures of ourselves. We don't take a selfie of ourselves when we're wearing a pair of sweatpants and we've got Doritos smeared across our chest. <laughs> Nobody does that. Hair's all a mess, no makeup on, or maybe your makeup's just kind of smeared from the day before. You haven't even showered yet. Nobody does that. You're not going to get any likes. You're going to get comments to say, bro, you okay? Right? It's hard not being real. It's hard having to perform all the time. Studies show that people that are inauthentic go, go through and experience more depression and more anxiety than anybody else. Bodily, they also experience more aches and troubles like headaches and backaches. There are side effects to not having a pure heart, to being fake. So Jesus is calling us to step off the stage, to find the blessing out of the spotlight. And the second thing that brings us to the end of our performance is no more costumes. Jesus was critical because of the emphasis that the religious elite were putting on their outward appearance. And you have to know that God doesn't care about your outward appearance. Yes, there are plenty of verses on modesty and the way that we dress, but God's main concern with you is your heart. It's your heart. Matthew 23, 5. Again, everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, some of you are sitting there and say, I have no idea what a phylactery is, so I'm good. I can move right along. <laughs> but let me tell you what a phylactery is. A phylactery was a little leather box that they wore on their wrist, the, the religious leaders of the day, or they put it on their forehead. And the idea is that God was ever before them or God was directing them. And this little leather box had scripture that was uh, on little scrolls that was written there and placed inside of those little boxes. And Jesus, Jesus notes that they make their phylacteries wide. So what was happening was, is everybody had a regular-sized phylactery. But one day, somebody got a replacement phylactery, and it was a half-inch bigger than the next guy's. And so what happened? I can't believe that guy's got a bigger phylactery than I do. Next week, you come in, his is... Bigger than the last guy's phylactery. 
And it becomes a challenge. Now, not only do I have four or five verses in there, now I've got the whole Bible. I've got a shoebox on my arm, and I'm rocking it like Flava Flav. What up? Big old shoebox. Flava. Where are the big clocks? Come on, you guys. You know the big, okay, all right. Maybe I won't do that joke second service. They're wearing these big things, and a phylactery is kind of like a WWJD bracelet. And so they got bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And then they would judge each other on how small their phylacteries were. It was like high school all over again. And then Jesus comments on their tassels. He says they had their tassels were long. And see what the tassel was, it was like a, it was a blue ribbon. And uh, again, it indicated that you were in religious leadership, and again, same thing with the phylacteries. They came in one day and somebody's ribbon had gotten a little longer. And so the next guy's got a long ribbon and his is longer. And the next guy's got a long and pretty soon they've got blue all over. It's like a bunch of obnoxious Michigan fans running around, all blue. <laughs> I don't make this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Especially that part about Michigan. It's there. I'm just, you got to read it right. <laughs> oh, Jesus makes it clear that God isn't concerned about our outward appearance. He says the pure in heart is not a focus on the outside. It's not about how we dress. We can dress a certain way to impress people, but we, we can't impress God. He isn't impressed by how we dress. As the church, I think that we get caught up in how we dress when we come to worship, don't we? We get caught up in that, man, but Jesus didn't. You know, there's no such thing biblically as church clothes. Are you all aware of that? Like, you can just break free from everything you've ever grown up with, and there is no such thing as church clothes. There is nothing biblically about the way we need to dress when we come to worship. And we can't equate outward appearance to spiritual condition anyway. We just simply cannot do that. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying to the, the religious leaders, woe to you if you equate a person's outward appearance with their eternal standing. He says, woe to you if you question a person's faith if they don't share your sense of style. Woe to you if you demean the worship of God by turning it into a religious fashion show. Woe to you if you spend hours in front of the mirror making sure you look good but have spent no time paying attention to the one thing that God looks at and that is your heart. Woe to you. This is a big deal to us here at Simple Church. That's why we've got a sign on the front of the door that says, come as you are. Our invitation cards say, come as you are. Somebody asked me this week, what's your dress code? I said, we have a strict policy of come as you are, which means it's not strict and there's no policy. You just need to be wearing clothes. And you may be sent home if you show up naked. Maybe. That's what I said. <laughs> we want to remove those roadblocks that are in people's minds that say, well, I can't come to church because I don't have the right clothes. We aren't worried about that. Jesus is not concerned about that. But other people say, well, we need to honor tradition. Let me tell you something. Jesus over and over again pushes against tradition because the religious leaders of the day, what they were more concerned about, what they were zealous for was not the things of God. It was their man-made traditions. It was the things they came up with. It was their meanings. It was their clothing. It was the way that they looked and they dressed. And they honored tradition at the expense of God's commands and his heart. They turned people away. 
We never want to honor tradition at the expense of the Great Commission. Not here. And the truth is, if you've never heard this before, let me say this, that we will stop at nothing short of sin to reach God's lost kids around here. I'm not worried about offending your tradition. We need people to come to Jesus. And too many churches don't reach people because of tradition. But I'll tell you, we love being non-traditional. As we look towards our future and talk about what does our next building look like? You know, what if we got this church building? What if, what if we bought this building from them? And we're like, ah, looks like a church. And we're like, yeah, I know. We've been in a funeral home, and now we've been in a warehouse. And it's like, we kind of like being non-traditional. We enjoy it. Why was Jesus so passionate about this? Because when we worry about the outward appearance, it turns us into mm, a country club for the religious elite. Mm, and that makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to be here. We don't want to turn people away from them with our traditions in our, country, or in, our, in our dress codes. So the end of our performance means no more spotlight. It means no more costumes. And it means no more reciting lines. Matthew 6, 5 through 6, Jesus talking about prayer and says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. He says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Look, I think when we pray, we tend to be a little more mm, spiritual don't we? We got this religious language, and we, we talk to, to, to God, and we say his name, Father God, you know, and we, we get all very, like, um, I don't know how else to say it, religious. I'm not even really sure why we do that. Maybe we think that, that God wants that. Maybe we think that he only hears us if we pray in the King James Version. Oh, Lord, thou hast done great things. We thank thee. Heavenly Father, like God only hears you if you pray that way. But that's not what God wants. What he wants when you pray is honesty and sincerity. You see, prayer is all about an experience with God. It's about taking an opportunity to be intimate with him. Do you know, if you look at the word intimacy and kind of slow down as you say it, it sounds like into me see. But it is a moment for clarity. It's a moment for perspective. It is a moment for you to be honest with God. And intimacy only comes when the masks are off. You ever heard someone pray, and when they prayed, you were like, man, that was impressive. I got this buddy, Jeff. We went to breakfast one day. And he prayed over the food, and when he was finished, I would swear that I didn't know Jesus at all. You know what I mean? It was that good. I was like, dang. That was like, wow. I was impressed when he prayed. Some of us, we hear how people pray, and we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. I'm going to do that, you know? Like kind of, we, we hear somebody, you ever heard somebody pray over their food? Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And so we hear that, and we do the same thing. Instead of just saying, thanks God for the food, we say, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. But we're at Taco Bell, and God's looking at you, and he's like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Seriously? I think there are words that we only say when we're praying, right? It's funny, I was riding with one of my mentors, his, his name is Gary, and we said, you know, it is funny how people say only certain things in prayer, and 
So for the last two months or so, we've been firing each other back and forth, little text messages. This is the word we only say in prayer. This is the word we only say in prayer. And now, for the very first time, for your listening enjoyment, here are some words that we have put a list together. It's just, just a few. Words we only hear in prayer. Partake. Midst. Father God, over and over again, you know, Father God, we pray, Father God, that you, Father God, would come here, Father God, and you, Father God, would bless, Father God, dwell, hedge, like a hedge of protection, you know, we don't say that unless we're praying, traveling mercies, who says that? We don't say that unless we're praying, how about hand upon, lay hands on, anointing, nourish, I lift up my brother, I plead the blood, I command, I bind, I rebuke. These are all words we use only in prayer. We, we use a, many of them to sound super spiritual. But God doesn't want rehearsed prayers recited to him. He's not interested in that. He wants authentic. You know who I love listening to when they pray? Kids. And, and newborn Christians. Newborn Christians, man, they're just brand new. And they're like, Aaron, I don't know how to pray. That's awesome. Let's do it. And you put them on the spot, and they're like, God, my day sucks. Could you make it better? Amen. They're like, yes, that was real. That's a prayer that God will answer over and over again. I love it. I love listening to them. So honest when they're talking to God. I think the way our prayer needs to be is, maybe think about this. If you're married, when you were dating, uh, if you remember early on, you, uh, you did a lot of things to kind of Make yourself look good, right? You know, you combed your hair, you, you, you put on a little bit of makeup, uh, you, you maybe ironed your shirt. Ladies, maybe you shaved your legs. Guys, maybe you shaved your legs. I'm not sure. But either way, these are things you don't necessarily do after you get married. You know, you just, you do them when you're dating. And when in conversation, you kind of reserve your love for Star Wars. You kind of put that in, in the back seat. You don't really talk about it, you know, in that first couple dates. And, but as time goes on, you know, you get to know each other. You wear a little bit less makeup. You don't worry so much about your hair being done. You might wear a wrinkled shirt, and well, and then Star Wars comes into conversation, and you're going to tell them how much you love about it and, and how George Lucas is, well, he's just amazing. He's the guy who wrote Star Wars for all of you non-Star Wars people. And I think, I think this is the kind of relationship that Jesus is after with us. It's the no makeup kind of relationship. It's the, the one where we can talk freely. See, Shanda and I have been married for 11 years, and I love when she gets all dressed up, and I love going to a dinner where we, we sit and hold hands and look each other in the eyes, and the candlelight is flickering, and she looks just so, and I look just so, and I love it. It's great. But Shanda knows that I, I prefer her, no makeup, hair up, maybe a ball cap on, jeans and a t-shirt. I prefer her like she is. She's beautiful without all that stuff. I, I just prefer her that way. And this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with you, one that is intimate, one where you know him and he knows you. It's just real. And so no more spotlight, no more costumes, no more reciting lines, and no more pretending. No more pretending. We come to the end of our performance, it means no more pretending. Jesus said to the hypocrites, they do not practice what they preach. The difference in the pure in heart and the hypocrite is that the sign outside doesn't match what's inside. It looks impressive, but it's, it's not who they really are. 
And we talked last week about how the path to the pure in heart is through mourning. It's through tears. It's, it's when we recognize our sin and we cry about it and we mourn over it that it washes our heart and cleanses us. It's when we're honest about our sin. When we are pretending we are okay. When we are pretending that we've got it together, that, that we are blessed. So every week... We've been talking about this, and even weeks prior too, we always invite you to take out your connection card. And we say, hey, would you, would you just fill out, if you need prayer, if God's put something on your heart, maybe he's speaking to you about a sin issue in your life and you need to repent, and you want somebody to pray with you, you can fill it out on those connection cards and you can drop it in the offering bucket. It's the same today as it is every week. You can do that today. You can participate that way. If God's speaking to you, we don't want to judge you. We want to love you. We want to pray for you. But as I pray over those requests every week and as I see them, I have to be really honest with you that most of those things that you write down that you're struggling with, well, I, I could have written that card myself. That, that the things that you struggle with, the, the sin issues that you find yourself entangled with, I, I, if I'm being honest, I would, I would say I have difficulty there too. My role as pastor is sometimes to seem like I have it all together, to seem like I know what I'm doing to be the guiding light. So there's that pressure on me on a regular basis to be an actor, to act like I have it all together. I don't always mean to do it, but I just find myself doing it. I find your expectations driving me to tell you everything's okay when it's not. And the truth is, is that I'm hurting inside. And the truth is, is that I'm broken over my sin in the same way that you are. The truth is that I've worn my morning bracelet all week and looked at it and every time I, I, I have, my, my eyes have filled up with tears over my sin. Now, I don't want you to think that I've fallen away from God, because I haven't. Jesus and I still walk together daily, but I have sin issues, and I have flaws in my heart. I have flaws in my heart because God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me song from my Sunday school years. He's still working on me. And oftentimes I feel like I can't tell you what I'm currently struggling with. Oh no, I'll be open and honest with you about sins that I've had in the past. I've been open and honest about porn and the issue and the role that it played in my life, but that's under control now. I'm okay talking about it because, well, that's under wraps. It's not the current struggle feel like if I tell you what I'm really struggling with that you would that you would leave the only way to shatter this image though that everything is okay that I'm alright is through confession James 5.16 tells us to confess our faults one to another and to pray for one another so that you may be healed 
so I'm sorry if what I'm getting ready to tell you shakes your image of who I am. You should see every single one of you. If you were playing on your phone, you just put it down. Oh, he's getting ready to confess some sin. <laughs> Y'all looking down your long religious noses at me now, like, what's he going to do? My hope is that I confess that you will pray for me as I pray for you. My confession is, and what I've dealt with this past week and a half as I've allowed God to work on my heart, as I've allowed God to show me my sin to mourn over, is that I'm a fearful individual. Some of you are like, that's it? Oh, you don't understand what that means. Because see, fear is the opposite of faith. I haven't been living my life from a place of trust and hope in God. And I didn't realize it until this past week. God's good. I say, all right, what is it, Lord? Do I, do I need to, you know, stop doing this? Or need to say, he's like, no, it's fear. And then it encompasses your whole world. And you just break. See, because fear causes you to make poor decisions in leadership. In the way that I've led my church and the way that I've led my people. Fear has caused me as a parent to yell and scream at my kids because I want them to obey me out of fear. I'm afraid of losing control of them to the point that I, I would even confess that don't, I'm not talking about putting my hands on them, that my words could be abusive. Fear that you won't like me and my relationships causes me to control what you see of me. See, I thought about coming out here today and confessing to you that in private sometimes I order a pizza and I eat the whole thing by myself, and then I thought, they probably figured that one out themselves already. <laughs> and I didn't want to tell you that I live, that I too often, my default mode is to respond to life out of fear. And I'm ashamed of the behaviors that that has resulted in. I've said things to my wife that I shouldn't say to her to try to control her. I've said things to my kids. That I'm ashamed of. And I talked to my wife about this this week and I talked to one of my best friends and he prayed with me and I said, I don't want to be afraid anymore. So I didn't want to tell you because, well, I was afraid of you. But then I, I started to think, you know, if, if I don't tell them, if I don't tell them the way that I'm sitting against my heavenly father, well, then I'm, I'm refraining and holding back for your applause. I, I don't want your applause. What I want is God's blessing in my life. And then it became really easy to stand up here. Now, I do have a second service ahead of me, so there's, I get to do this again, but it became very easy for me to say that I, I, I'm struggling, that, that I'm, I'm having difficulty trusting God. But I don't want to pretend anymore. 
Because pretending keeps your sin in the dark. And what we know about sin is that when it's in the dark, when it's outside of God's light, when we hide it, that that's where it grows. That's where it flourishes. And when we confess, when we bring that sin into the light, this is where God heals us. This is where that thing dies. And so my prayer for myself selfishly is that as I confess today and as I've confessed earlier this week and as I've talked to my wife about it is that this thing would die in me and that I would live from a place of trust because that would be honoring to God. That, that's what I want. That's what I desire. And I didn't want to come here today and embarrass my wife and embarrass my kids. I want them to be proud of me, but really I can't think of a better way than to coming to church and demonstrating for them that it's not about the stickers. That this is what we do. That we can all come to God in a broken state together, confess our faults and be redeemed, be healed, <laughs> and go on a journey that looks very different than the way we came in. That's what the church is for. That's what it looks like when we come to the end of our performance. First John, it says that if we are faithful to confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us, to purify us. Blessed are the pure in heart. So today it's time to come to the end of your performance. There's no more spotlight. There's no more costumes. There's no more reciting lines. And no more pretending. It's time to be honest. It's time to be authentic. And it's time to be real with God. Today, there are a couple ways that you can participate in this. I mentioned the connection cards earlier. If God's tugging at your heart about something that's going on in your life and you want somebody to pray with you this week, you can put your connection card in and my prayer team and I will pray for you and reach out to you, connect with you. That connection card just goes in the offering buckets as they go by. The other way is after service. We'll have people up front here. Everybody dismisses. You can come up front and get prayer. You can confess with somebody, to somebody, what's going on in your life. The other way you can participate is as we pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this, um, this moment, albeit solemn moment, this moment to be real, this moment to be uh, authentic. I pray, God, that you would just pull at our hearts right now. That you would reveal to us where we've been needing to stand in the spotlight, you would reveal to us our, that our costumes and our reciting with lines and our pretending that, that you see through it all and you love us despite it all. God, I pray that you would invite us to be real with you right now. I pray that, that as we are, God, as we speak to you, as we invite you in to this moment, as we confess our faults, as we confess our sins openly to you, God, that you would heal us. Lord, that you would give us the boldness to go to someone this week and confess what it is you've laid on our hearts. Whether that's our spouse, a close friend, or even just a prayer partner here at this church. God, I pray that we would be bold, that we would seek your approval and not the applause of men. And we would find freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us. That we would begin a journey that together, God, ha, we would walk in a way that would honor you. Lord, we need you. Do this work in our life today.
Now, as we continue praying, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, Aaron, I, I'm not on this path. I'm not a Christ follower. Maybe you were or maybe you never have been. Let me tell you something. Jesus offers real life. It is a life that is full and fulfilled. <laughs> but that begins with a relationship with him. It, Jesus is not trying to be your buddy. He's not trying to be your friend. Jesus wants to be nothing less than Lord of your life. That means that he's in charge. And what you're saying yes to today is a commitment to learning his ways and abandoning your own. This is a process we call repentance. It requires you coming to the end of yourself and confessing your need for him. Here in this real moment, you can know God. You can walk with other believers and find freedom. Freedom from your past. You can discover that God has a purpose for your life so that he can use you to make a difference in the lives of others. You'll find that. But you don't get all that without taking a step towards him. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And if you want to be counted in on that prayer, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to life. To say yes to heaven. I'm going to pray the words, and you can pray them silently at your seat or mean them, but you, or pray them in your heart, but you need to mean them either way. And I'm going to pray that prayer now, and if that's you, I want you just to shoot up your hand right now. Do it now. Say, Aaron, that's me. Count me on on that prayer right now. That's me. That's me. If you're watching by Periscope today or listening through the podcast, I believe that wherever you are, if you'll pray this prayer with me, that God will meet you where you are, that your real life begins now. Church, you ought to be praying. You ought to be praying that people's hearts are open, that their lives are forever changed, that they would accept the offer to come to Jesus. If you're praying, pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Uh, I believe you came to this earth, that you died and rose from the dead three days later. Jesus, I believe you did all of that so that I could be made brand new. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me something new. Give me a new life. Here's my life in exchange for yours. Be Lord of my life. Teach me. Teach me your ways. Give me your Holy Spirit. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus.